go? My name is Todd. This is Kathy. Welcome back to another episode of Zen Parenting Radio. This is podcast number 576. Why listen to Zen Parenting Radio? Because you'll feel outstanding. And I always remember our motto, which is the best predictor of a child's well-being, is a parent's self-understanding. The title of today's show, which we have before we record, is Healthy Human Beings. Yes. And the main topic is going to be a TED Talk. Uh, the inspiration of the topic is going to be a TED Talk from a woman named Susan David. Mm-hmm. And uh, she's a psychologist and talks about emotions. Emotional Agility is the name of her book. All right. I'm agile, sweetie. Uh, you can be, for sure. I'm also very rigid. Well, they are... They... They are not synonyms. They are the opposite. That's right. So you tend to go back and forth. Just like the rest of us. Correct. Yeah. The I love the language emotional agility. It's actually the first book, um, TED Talk, that I have been excited about in a long time. And Todd knows this because I keep talking about it. Festivus for the rest of us. I know. And we. I have to say that the reason that she even came into our awareness is because uh, Dax Shepard just interviewed her last week on Armchair Expert. And so um, we, you know, that began our um, investigation into uh, emotional agility. That's right. Uh, but first, we're going to talk about uh, Zen moments. What's a Zen moment, sweetie? Well, um, Zen Parenting Moments Sorry. is a um, an email that I send out. So basically, if you like this show, you listen to the show, and you want like an extra lift two times a week, all you have to do is go to our website, zenparentingradio.com, and you'll see right at the top it says subs- subscribe, and you just get an email that has a um, message on Tuesday and Thursday morning that might be helpful to your day. And I just want to thank all the people who have emailed me about the Zen Parenting moments that have been sent out thus far. I really appreciate your feedback. We're going to uh, highlight last Thursday's Zen Parenting moment, but first a clip. You ready? Okay. Hey, my aunt told me something neat. Yeah? She said everything with the wedding goes by so fast, we should try to take mental pictures of the high points. Oh, wow. That's cool. Yeah. Click. Oh, you blinked. Damn it, now that's in my brain forever. Oh. Who are those two people? <laughs> that was my quote at the beginning of the, the Zen Parenting Moment. That is Jim and Pam from The Office. I uh, I try to, or not try, I do. At the beginning of every Zen Parenting Moment, there is a quote or a lyric or something from a movie or a TV show that I think explains what I'm writing about. So the name of last Thursday's uh, Zen Parenting Moment it actually came out, came out on Thanksgiving, and it's titled Grateful Pointing. And it's short, so I'm going to read it. Practicing gratitude can feel like another thing to do, another thing that requires time and energy. We can understand the research around gratitude that focusing on what we're thankful for can change the way our brain sees the world or that feeling grateful in a fearful moment can lessen our anxiety. Pause. Are you making fun of the way I read your words? I am. Sweetie, Just I'm because do... you put emphasis in weird places. I know. I screwed that one up. But how about this next paragraph? Okay. We can hear all about why it's good for us, but it can sound, it could still sound preachy, like how we're supposed to be drinking green smoothies and composting our leftovers. Instead of making gratitude something you have to do, just point to it. When you see the sun come out from behind the clouds, point to it. When you're looking for a perfect gift and happen to find it, point to it. When you're about to share a meal with people you love, point to them. 
You can point with your mind or finger. It takes no time, and it extends the good feeling. Not only does it extend the feeling in the moment, it creates the possibility for a memory. You may find yourself pointing at the simplest things, noticing how much is working even within a stressful day. The practice is in the noticing. The noticing shifts everything. Happy Thanksgiving, my friends. I'm pointing at you. Did I do better? Yes, you did fine, honey. You know what? You are a... Awesome person. I know. You are a school type reader instead of like a... um, uh, Using your personality when you read. You're a school type reader. (laughs) Um, Why did you write... So just real quick. So over the Thanksgiving weekend, I was pointing at you. And it was just kind of a cool way for us to say we see each other and we're grateful for one another versus having to always say it. Right. Well, and this is the thing. When I talk to people about practicing gratitude, they really do. They're like, oh, it's something else I have to do. I have to journal about it. I have to write about it. I have to write thank you notes. Like it becomes this other thing to do. So don't look at it that way. Like, and sometimes we feel this over, like you'll go out and see a sunset and you'll be like, it's so beautiful. I don't know how to acknowledge or hang on to or just appreciate this moment, just point to it. Mm -hmm. Because what that moment does is it, not only do you, do you have something physical that you can do, but it also has, it burns it into your memory where Mm -hmm. you're like, okay, I'm pointing to this right now in this moment. And you remember it much better because you brought it into that present moment. And if you do it enough, then you realize that you know, you basically make an agreement with whomever you happen to be with saying, this is what it means when I'm pointing at you. Right. Because my niece, Rosie, was pointing at me one time and I'm like, what, what? And it's because we shared that story with yeah. her. And then she's like, I, you don't get it. I'm pointing at you. Aww. So anyways, it's helpful that that you do this with somebody who has read the article or knows why they're, point, by, why they're being pointed at. And I would like to... Um, Right now, since you brought up Rosie, I would like to, and I'm pointing at you too, I would also like to virtually point to my niece, Claire, because she listens to this show. She's 13 or 12 years old, and she listens to the show while she's doing um, her homework. So Claire, we love you, and we're pointing at you right now. I'm pointing at you, Claire, and I'm also saying, turn the podcast off and do (laughs) math without listening to a podcast. She's like, I can do math while listening. That makes no sense to me. But I, I, it does. JC can listen to music while she's doing homework. Um, Before I um, talk about our partner of the week, um, I want to play just one more clip from The Office, which is the next sure, scene. Sure, It's really funny. Okay. So this is the one where Jim and Pam get married. Yeah. And everybody's going to the wedding. And now Dwight and uh, Michael are driving. <laughs> okay. Oh, God. Wow. Oh, I was asleep. What? No way. Those glasses are super dark. Oh, wow. Okay. All right. We need some tunes, I think. You know what? I made you a CD. You did? Mm-hmm. That was nice of you. This is to play when you bring a woman back to your hotel room. Oh, very thoughtful. A little mix to set the mood. Delightful. <laughs> Pop that in. You're going to like this. Hello. My name is Dwight Schrute. <laughs> if you are listening to this, you're a lucky woman Michael has seduced. Ah, to be in your shoes. What's next, you're probably wondering. Don't be scared of your night in heaven. Are you serious? You want me to play that for a woman coming to my room? Yeah, it's my practical. It, 
No. no. It's practical. practical. <laughs> Dwight, we're going to talk about emotions, and maybe yeah. we could talk about Dwight, who has an absence of, he doesn't have emotional agility, emotional agility. Well, he doesn't show his emotions, but we know because we've all watched every episode of The Office a million times that he does have emotions. Yes. Do you remember when he's crying in yeah, the stairwell? Yeah, he just picks his time when to express, <laughs> like... Um, I don't think Dwight's good at sharing fear, but with Angela, he showed sadness. Yeah. He was wailing. Oh. And he was also good at showing anger. Yes. Yeah. Which bear is best. It reminds me, yeah, there's so many great Dwight moments. And if we start talking about it, the whole podcast will be about that. Yes, so. it will be. Um, but I want to talk about our partner of the week, which is Big Life Journal. Have you ever heard your child say, I can't do anything right, or I don't want to try, or this is stupid? It's so hard to hear your children say these things. The good news is that we can help our children develop a growth mindset so they can have higher self-esteem and realize they can achieve and learn anything. Big Life Journal makes tools to help you do just that. By using their guided journals and printable activities just a few minutes a day, you can help your child turn around their thinking to become, I'm going to even try, I'm going to try even if it's difficult, or I'm enough, or I can do my best. These illustrated journals are packed with guided activities, writing prompts, and stories. Over 600,000 parents and educators trust Big Life Journal resources, so don't wait and check them out today. Get the special growth mindset journals or one of their popular printable kits and witness the positive change in your children. Head over to biglifejournal.com and use coupon code ZENPARENT for 10% off your order. When you head over there and you're going to use our coupon code ZENPARENT, um, consider using what they have for your existing school day with your kids because we're all doing this virtual learning. Like incorporate it in as part of like you know, the fun activity or the way that, you know, to communicate about feelings at the end of the day or how they felt they did. The whole goal of it, as Todd just said, is the growth, um, you know, mindset and to discuss their school day instead of like separating it out, like here's their school day. And then maybe on Saturday you talk about Big Life Journal, like make it part of their educational experience so they can start to integrate those things. Boom. Good job, sweetie. Yeah. Um, so I've, part of me wants to play a clip from this, but I think I'd rather have you start. So l- let me talk about a little bit why I really like Su- Susan David's TED Talk and book Emotional Agility, and I enjoyed her interview with Dax, um, and why I've been talking about it so much. Because it brings together a lot of things that I think Todd and I have been talking about for a long time, and she just has really beautiful language just to say emotional agility is a really great way to, you know, obviously that, um, you know, it's agility versus rigidity, right? Um, So, you know, she says that emotional rigidity, she explains that life's beauty is inseparable from its fragility, okay? So basically you have got to learn how to be more agile with your experiences and with your feelings because there's no way, like rigid denial doesn't work. Right. Like you can't go through life and be like, I'm only going to feel this way and I'm not going to feel this way. The whole goal of being a healthy human being is being able to move in and out of your feelings without so much, um, you know, putting yourself down for it or being in denial of it or being critical of yourself This whole semester, my college students, I'm just finishing up my college class that I've been teaching this semester, and the class is called Sociology of the Family, and I have spent the entire semester focusing on self-compassion, and even though I did not use Susan David's language, um, I will say for the most part, it's been emotional agility. Mm -hmm. Like I didn't have her book until now. So I just actually this week, my students are watching her Ted talk, but 
all we've been talking about is being able not to to not feel emotions, but how to experience what we're experiencing in a healthy way. Yeah. You know, like how to, um, how to, um, I have this, I, I wrote something down to, oh, this is really great. This is from Susan David. So I'm taking it from her, but she says how to feel in our wisdom and then practice values aligned action. Okay. So say that again, how to feel our wisdom mm -hmm. And then practice a values-aligned action. What she means by that is that wisdom comes from all of our emotions, all of our feelings. Like, for example, as you know, I tend to get very angry sometimes when I read the newspaper or we don't really watch TV, but the – well, I watch TV. I just don't watch the news. But when I read articles about certain people in government, I get very angry. Mm. And so a lot of people may say – then don't read it or look away from it or don't get mad. It's just, you know, there's nothing you can do about it. But that rage or anger that I feel allows me to tap into what my values are, Okay, which is why am I feeling rage? Because I believe that things are untrue, that there are lies being told, that there is an unfairness, that there's a lack of justice. And that then gives me information about myself mm. that so the things that we, you know, feel uncomfortable about or the things that bring in or bring on negative emotions gives us insight to our values. And then once we know that, then we can take, and again, I love this, values aligned action, meaning we're not going to like, values aligned means if we're angry, it doesn't mean we're going to go hit somebody. Mm -hmm. It means that we're going to take action in a with justice in mind. Yeah. I think what you're saying is that there's some wisdom that can take place if you tune in Correct. to what this emotion is here to teach you. Correct. Yet what we sometimes do or often do is push it aside, numb it out, escape from the emotion. Because, you know, unless it's joy, most of those emotions that we're feeling are pretty uncomfortable. Exactly. And discomfort is something that we need to get used to feeling. Like discomfort is... You know, she she actually gives in her TED talk. She actually talks about how, you know, the only people who aren't uncomfortable are dead people. Yes, <laughs> you know what I mean. Like, if we're trying to go through life without being uncomfortable, it's impossible. Like being being uncomfortable, and I'm not saying chronically uncomfortable. I mean having uncomfortable moments or uncomfortable realizations or discomfort in our feelings or whatever it may be. And I love this language too. Being positive is a new form of moral correctness. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like we we feel like to be morally correct, we need to be positive all the time. And, you know, it's funny because I think a lot of people who listen to this show may think that that's what our message is. Yeah. Just be positive. If you think that, it's not. Yeah, you're, you're not listening. Our message is all of your feelings have value. And if you feel everything, you're going to be able to feel your joy mm -hmm. and your positiveness more um, astutely. Is that a word, astutely? Yes. You're going to be able to recognize it and appreciate it. Well, there's a, that was a lot, and I kind of want to like pause sure, a little please. bit. So one of the things that she talks about, and this is a quote from her TED Talk, discomfort is the price of admission to a meaningful life. Mm, I love that. Right? And that like so it encapsulates... Mm -hmm. Pretty much everything. So, you know, a lot of parents are listening and, you know, when our kids are, you know, think about it, whether your kid's three or 13 or 19, 
they're going to experience sadness and fear and anger and all these kind of heavier emotions. And for me, that's really uncomfortable mm -hmm. to see your kid in pain, mm -hmm. to be sad, to be angry. Talk about reactive. Like, you know, your kid gets angry at somebody else or even you. It's really hard to say that this is an okay emotion. Mm -hmm. So this is kind of like a self introspection. Like, can we check in with ourselves when our kids are experiencing emotion? And do we as parents only value the good ones and then devalue the bad ones? And do we like try to equip them with distraction and coping mechanisms mm -hmm. in the same way that we distract ourselves from, uh, some of the emotion. You had a hard day, you have a glass of wine, you, you're mad at somebody, you watch Netflix. Instead of tuning in to what actually is happening inside your body and inside your mind. Um, so yeah. So two things about that. Thank you for all that. I love that quote, the discomfort quote. Um, really what our hope is, <clears throat> excuse me, to be a healthy human being is to learn how to deal with our inner worlds. Okay, we spend all of this time focusing on our outer worlds. How do I get this? How do I build this? How do I get money? How do I work harder? And that's not where health comes from. Yeah. Health comes from how to deal with our inner worlds. And I'm talking about emotional. I'm not talking about what we're eating. I Obviously, that plays a role in itself. But I, right now, I'm just talking about how to deal with our emotional worlds. And so when you think about that, that's what makes a healthy human being. That's really what we need to help our children with. And actively denying their feelings or telling them that they shouldn't feel something or trying to push them beyond a feeling because it makes you uncomfortable is not helping them become more healthy. Right. That is actually helping them learn how to deny and push away what not only can make them healthy, but help them point to their own value system. Right. Like if they're feeling a certain way, you don't have to... Like, for example, sometimes my girls tell me something that they're feeling, maybe they're angry with a friend or, you know, someone that they know, and they tell me all the reasons that they're angry with this friend. Now, I may listen to them and and hear some of it and think, well, that's silly or that's being selfish or whatever it may be, but pushing and telling them that they shouldn't feel that way or even sharing those thoughts that I'm having about judging what mm -hmm. they're feeling is not helpful. Now, I don't need to buy in and agree. Yeah, what's the difference between not being judgmental and not buying into the the reason for the anger? You know, what I do is I tend to, they'll, they'll tell me like a long story and they'll have all these big emotions about it. And usually I'll be like, I totally hear you. I totally hear you. That sounds like it totally sucks. So what do you do about that when that happens? And I just keep asking them questions so they continue to kind of work through. Now, obviously, if our kid says something, I'll be extreme just to, you know, like, well, I'm really angry at this friend, so I'm going to go hit this person. Mm -hmm. Obviously, that's a time where you jump in and say, you know what, I totally hear that you're angry, but hitting her or him might end up hurting you even more and them in the long run. So what's another thing you can do with yeah, being angry? Yeah, what's a healthy expression of this anger? Correct. Like, what can you do that's in that's aligned with your values? Yeah, um, and I'm just thinking of our middle kid. Uh, she was angry about something, and she's really in tune, at least at certain times. I think one time, uh, you know, I invited her to get her angers out, and I think she started like yelling or 
like talking about the situation, which is good. Like, Very good. you know, I'm mm-hmm. here to hold the space for you to express the anger. And then the other time she went outside, it was cold out. She was just wearing socks, but she just went outside and just ran around for like a minute. Yeah. So she was getting some of these things that I think are residing inside of our body out. So it doesn't have to be punching a pillow. It could be talking about it. it could be running outside in a circle. It and I and and movement is great. I think that this and movement is great period so that that is the extra is that if you're able to really define what you're feeling that gives you even more information for example like if our kid comes home and says i'm stressed and we just say go move it out yeah then we're not really getting to the core of what is the stress like not in a judgmental like why are you stressed but saying what does stress mean like does stress mean you have a lot of things to do and you're not sure you'll get it done. Distress mean you're afraid someone, your teacher, us, someone else will be disappointed in you. Distress mean you're thinking so much about the future that you are projecting. Stress, these grand words like stress, overwhelmed, tired, what do they mean? Right. Well, and I would even say like even stressed. Is stressed a feeling? Yeah, it depends on who you're asking, but there's probably something underneath the stress and it could be anger, it could be fear. So for me, it's like, okay. And then like, where, where is it located in your body? And somebody might be like, well, I don't know what you're talking about, but I do think that there's a body intelligence that I'm presently trying to cultivate. Whereas if you're stressed, where do you feel it? Mm -hmm. Sometimes I feel it in my jaws, like I'm, I'm, I'm tense, Mm -hmm. I'm tense in my jaws. Or sometimes I feel like a fierce swirling in my belly. But for a guy who lives, you know, from his neck up most of the time, that is uh, a practice I'm trying to cultivate in myself and invite my kids to do the same thing. And if you have a kid who, like, if you, like, sometimes when Todd will have kind of a new action item for the girls, he'll ask them questions like, where does it live in your body? And sometimes they don't want to do it, right? Mm-hmm. They'll be like, thanks, Dad. Yeah. No, thanks. Go coach somebody so, else. Exactly. Go coach someone else. So you can say, like if your kid's telling you they're angry and they're like, oh, I'm so angry. I'm so mad. I'm so frustrated. You can say, you know what? When I get angry, my jaw gets super tight. Yeah, that's so you can reflect. The, it, not only are you hearing them and relating, but you're offering that information about how it shows up in your body. That's or a lot better. my stomach hurts yes. or my legs hurt. It's totally like, think about that. Cause that's the nuance of like, okay, it's not working, Todd and Kathy. What I just said, which is ask your kid where it lives in their body. Most kids are going to be like, what are you talking about? And it gets annoying. Versus when I get angry, I feel my face heat up. Right. You know, like, so lead with your own experience. And the only way you could do that is if you're doing this work alongside of your kids. Correct. And it's just much safer and easier and accessible to have your kids do their work and we just ignore our own. Right. And, you know... This practice, because a lot of the things we're saying right now, I know because I hear from parents all the time, they say things like, well, my kid doesn't tell me how they're feeling. And I want to investigate that just for a few minutes. Why our kids don't tell us how they're feeling? Why? Okay. I have a guess. I I do too. And, And it's different for every kid. I would never assume to know specifically why your kid doesn't. But I will tell you that oftentimes our society our educational experience, and definitely us as parents, we don't reward (laughs) the sharing of emotions. Oftentimes, we get so uncomfortable with the sharing of emotions that not only do we try and talk our kids out of it, but the expression on our face or what we say next or our desire to leave the conversation makes it brutally um, 
it, it becomes aware. You know, they become aware of the fact that this is not a conversation this person wants to have. Yeah, it's not accepted. And so I'm saying that because you realize how, you know, as everything on Zen Parenting is about your own self-awareness, how can you sit or manage or or stand or have a conversation or be curious about your children's emotions without judgment, without telling them why they shouldn't be having it, with allowing it just to kind of be in the air without solving it? Because there are times, like, I, I will be honest, like when one of my girls is sharing a lot of feelings and it sounds a little like, poor me, or oh, that again, oh, and I have this like societal need to point out why they should be grateful. Mm -hmm. And I've done it. You guys believe me because one time, this was about three or four years ago, but Todd and I asked the girls, what's the most annoying thing that we say? And they said, I think they did it on this show. Probably. They said, when you tell us the things we're supposed to be grateful for in the midst of when we're having a hard time. Well, and that's, I want to, I want to zero in on the positive psychology stuff. Yeah. And I, I want to share a quote from Susan David, but before I do that, I want to just remind people that we have this thing called Team Zen. It's the best part of what we do in getting to spend time with our listeners. And it's an awesome community of parents who come together over at Team Zen. It's a great opportunity to connect as much as you want with a group of like-minded parents and you'll get exclusive content with us. It's a third podcast, really. And I will say this. I've been getting a lot of emails, understandably, um, over the last six months of people who want to do one-on-one -on -one work. Mm -hmm. And I, I have a full caseload. I, I can't do that right now. But anybody who emails me about one-on-one -on -one work, I'm like, please join Team Zen because you can do it for a month for free sure. for friend if you put in coupon code friend because not only will you get to ask questions and, you know, connect with Todd and I in this way, but then you have this huge community yeah. and you have, so it's not just this one-on-one -on -one session with someone, even though I believe that's helpful. And if you have a therapist, I think that's fantastic, but you also get this like interaction and this connection and this understanding that you're not alone. Yeah. So I think team Zen is a really good call. Um, so forced positivity. Yes. That's a term that she uses yes, in this. Yes. Um, emotions pushed aside, they amplify. So if you push your emotions aside, they amplify. The greater its hold on you helps you deal with it as is, not how we want it to be. Anyways. So, but, so wait, just ahead. because I think that's an important point. Amplification means that your emotions pushed aside get stronger. They have a grip on you. They do. So if you don't allow them to be, if you don't say them or write about them, they amplify. And I don't know if people understand that. Well, it's interesting because if you think about it, amplify means they get bigger, Correct. but they can get bigger hidden from you. Correct. Do you know what I mean? So underneath. Underneath the yes. surface, which yes. is shadow work, anything that we hide, it deny, and repress. It can become unconscious. Yes. It, it, it develops into some unconsciousness. So when they... When I think of the term amplify, I think it's a good word for this example, but it's also a little misleading because it's not like it's um, it, it's more pronounced. It it dives into your soul and it will end up coming out sideways in a place that you don't even know where it comes from. And then that's where the amplification takes hold is because then everything you see and look at is through the lens of that emotion that you're not dealing with. Yeah. So for example, if you are pushing down your fear or anger, you'll be having a conversation with someone and fear and anger will leak through in the conversation. And you'll say, I don't know why I reacted that way. Yeah. It's because it, it's everything is amplified. It's like everything goes up a notch yeah. because of what's underneath. 
So I want to dive into the false positivity because okay. I, ta- I talked to you about this, I think, on Saturday. Mm-hmm. And I'm just going to read this from her. When we push aside normal emotions to, impre- to embrace false positivity, uh-huh. we lose our capacity to, to develop skills to deal with the world as it is, not as we wish it to be. Correct. So there's a whole field of positive psychology Correct. as led by Dr. Martin Seligman, who's a guy that I've heard of a million times but never read any of his books. What's the relationship between productive positive psychology and the bypassing that we're referring to right now? Well, and positive psychology, first of all, let me say this because it it's this kind of this weird nuanced place where – it's, it's not that it's one or the other, mm-hmm. okay? I tend to focus most of my teaching around positive psychology, but I'm also very focused on not denying trauma, focusing on emotions, um, discussing the what is of the moment, talking about death. Like there's – positive psychology does not mean you deny anything. Okay. The, the difference is – when you become a therapist, the Western model of therapy and the Western model of medicine for, you know, for all intents and purposes is to focus on what's wrong, okay? So we focus on what's your problem, what's your diagnosis, what's your pain, okay? So that's so kind of – that's like a viewpoint that we have, right? Sure. Positive psychology, which is, by the way, a research-based, you know – Yeah, they've done studies. Methodology. Like this is not like a um, – a, uh, um, how do I say this? This is, I'll just say that. It's a research-based okay. theory. Is about also, I'm using the word also on purpose, focusing on what's working. It's not about, I'm either going to focus on what's wrong or what's working. You're going to focus on both. So for example, when I am working with a client and they come to me and they have challenges like, you know, I, I'm not communicating well with my child and my child has outbursts and my child, I'm, I'm struggling with them and I don't know how to connect. We're going to talk about those things, about the feelings of your child, the challenges, the traumas, what's going on in your home, which is all what's wrong. But I'm also going to bring up what are your child's strengths? Mm. What do they do well? What do how do you connect or historically how have you connected? What strengths do you have? What are the things that um, that make you feel good where you can bring those into the relationship? So positive psychology is focusing on what's working. So I want to read, this is on positivepsychology.com that I just found. And it says, this is the definition on positivepsychology.com. Positive psychology is the scientific study of what makes life most worth living. Okay, so that's kind of an interesting definition. And then it goes on to say, positive psychology is a scientific approach to studying human thoughts, feelings, and behavior with a focus on strengths instead of weaknesses, building the good in life instead of repairing the bad, and taking the lives of average people up to great instead of focusing solely on moving those who are struggling up to normal. So it's, and again, this gets all into language and, you know, scientific theory and how you're going to study it and what you're going to look for. To, to bring it into layman's terms, like understanding a gratitude practice falls under um, positive psychology. Sure. So I was telling Todd that the, even though he's right, Martin Seligman um, was the um, poster child, I would say the father okay. behind um, 
positive psychology, I usually use Sean Acor's work. And he studied under all of these people. There's so many positive psychologists out there. It's just his books are the ones that I've used for my classes. And all of his is the research behind how to thrive. So you can get up to a base level of like, I'm doing fine, but then how do you thrive? And so instead of focusing, you can be be fine and be like, I don't have any problems to speak of. And and this is not 2020. (laughs) This is before this year. I don't really have any problems to speak of. I just don't feel like I'm thriving. And positive psychology can be that focus where it's like, okay, I want to focus on gratitude journaling. I want to focus on reaching out and, you know, caring for others. I want to focus on, and it could be about my own feelings. It could be about taking care of my body. It could be about recognizing what I'm good at. So positive psychology is just the ability to also put some attention toward what is already working. So here's what I do. Okay. Sometimes. Okay. And this is the word that just came to me. I sometimes weaponize positive psychology. A lot of people do. I will be like, well, it's not worth getting upset over. So I'm just going to ignore it and pretend everything's fine. And the one example I give is um, I'm in this coaching program and my learning partner missed uh, our session. And she, um, she's like, I said, you know, Part of me feels like getting upset over this at once we finally connected, but there's another part of me that just like, it's not worth it. Like, don't sweat the small stuff. And she created a space for me like, no, Todd, tell me exactly what you felt when you realized that I was not on the call when I was supposed to be. And I, and I was honest and I expressed some anger towards her. She's like, thank you. Now, great. Now we can go on to have an authentic conversation, but until you... Don't with until you reveal that, then it's it's BS. So I just wonder if you have any thoughts on that. You you need to have a a tight enough uh, agreement or relationship with the person to do that successfully because. If you just fly off the handle and start screaming at somebody who upsets you, that's not going to work either. But that's not what you did. No, so it's not. So that's a completely different thing right. that you're saying. Right. Because flying off the handle means you're not self-regulated. That means your emotional regulation is off. What you are saying is that in relationship with someone you trust who you happen to be training with, yes. meaning somebody who you have an agreement that we're going to be forthcoming honest. Yeah, and yeah. honest – she was able to say to you, go ahead and share your feelings. This is, you know, I know people don't love this language, but this is a safe place, right? right? Yeah. And I'm only, I'm only using that word safe because I think she would. Sure, of course. And so you were able to say it's frustrating because I show up on time. And again, here's what's interesting is when, because you and I do this mm-hmm. a lot. We're, we're very honest with each other about how we feel. Um, and it takes you down a path because, for example, I, I'm pretending to be you, but you would probably say to her, well, I was here on time and I scheduled my day around this. And so I feel like you should show up too. And in my life, I tend to be the only person who shows up on time and everybody else thinks they can go by their own clock. And I used to have to deal with this in childhood. Mm. Do you see how it starts to take you down? Right, of course. To a, when you start to share your feelings, you start to recognize where There's these pattern. experiences come yeah, from. From the past, this reminds me of. Exactly. Yeah. And so this is why sharing them are important because you start to see these strings and all of these like themes and all of these over... And that awareness, like not only does that help you understand yourself better, but I sometimes when I come to Todd with something that I'm frustrated about, 
I'll start to share and I'm kind of directing it at him. And then I will realize in the midst of talking, I'm not really upset with you. Mm-hmm. I'm actually just afraid because these things have happened before. And because of something you're doing, I'm afraid that's going to happen again. So basically what I'm sharing with him is what I'm seeing in you is reflecting something from my past. And I need to talk about it or else I'm going to treat you in a negative way to keep from being afraid. Yeah, that's such a mouthful because part of me is like, you know, I'm not upset with you. You're just reminding me of some of my own judgments I have of myself, or maybe it's from some past experience. something that really did happen. It's kind of like, I feel like we've shared examples of like, if somebody said something completely that did was nonsensical is like, Todd, you're an alien. Well, that wouldn't bug me. But if they say, Todd, you're a narcissist, well, all of a sudden I attach value to what a narcissist means. Mm-hmm. And it brings up all these unfelt feelings about my own inadequacy or my, my lack of belonging or childhood memories. Mm-hmm. So like an alien, like that's not going to land, mm-hmm. but somebody calls me a narcissist, all of a sudden I attribute meaning to that. And I just wonder if you have any thought, I feel like we have, we've had other examples about that. Like somebody says something completely nonsensical, why would that upset you? But the minute that they hit something that might hit something inside of you, then... The minute it, that they say something that you already believe about yourself or that you're afraid of, right. like, you know, it's why talking about parenting can be so... Um, people are so challenged to have discussions about parenting. It almost becomes a third rail issue in certain friendships because any mention of parenting feels like a judgment. And if that person already feels like they're not a good enough parent or they're dropping the ball, then you're triggering something in them where they're going to explode on you. So in other words, if, you, if you're completely confident that you do the best you can and you do a good job parenting and somebody calls you a crappy parent, like big deal, like that doesn't really mean much. But if I'm really judging myself as a bad parent and then somebody reminds me of that, then all of a sudden I got something cooking. Or someone verifies it and validates yeah. it. Like if they literally say back to you in some frame, you know, some form or another, you're not a good parent and that's your greatest fear, Mm. then you are going to freak out. You know, you're either going to direct that energy out at them or you're going to suck it back into you and have a feeling of pain and depression. Like these are, and so you understand why, again, getting into this structure of understanding emotional agility, when you are in relationship with someone, if it be your partner or your children, you understand how everybody needs to be somewhat on the same page about feelings. Yeah. Because if you are with a partner who cannot tolerate feelings and you need to discuss your feelings you're, and you say, why, why do we always fight? I can tell you why you always fight because one person doesn't want to hear feelings and you know, you want to discuss them. Now, even in that, there needs to be a lot of self-awareness because I'm literally using the word discuss in a healthy way. Like you don't get to unload and blame the other person for all your feelings. You know, the whole idea of pointing the finger at someone and being like, you make me angry. You're the problem. Parents do this all the time when they talk to me about their kids. They'll talk about one kid and they'll say, this kid is the only problem. This kid is what makes us all uncomfortable or he or she makes us all uncomfortable. And while I understand that you can lay out the information to demonstrate why you're saying this, everybody plays a role. Like a family is a dynamic. And sometimes there's one kid who tends to absorb a lot of the, the it's, you know, it's sometimes why we call a kid the black sheep of the family because mm. they're the memory of the family or they reflect back the pain that isn't being spoken or they're the ones that are more sensitive. And so then they become the problem because they're actually feeling or discussing the emotions that nobody else is. Right. 
that was a big mouthful. That's a whole nother discussion. But my point is, is that you have to realize that emotional agility, it takes two. Mm -hmm. <laughs> because if I'm emotionally, emotionally agile and I come to you and you are in denial, it's going to be a tough discussion. That's why relationships are really hard. I know. What are the odds of two people being emotionally agile in the same moment? It it can be. It's not impossible. It's not impossible at and all. It's a practice. But it's and it's practice. And this is like tennis. You want to be a good tennis player, then you got to practice. And what I mean by that is, if you want to, you know, become self aware, can you pause and breathe when you have some stimulus where you think you get might get reactive, and you do that through practicing with a partner who will make the space for you or meditating or getting energy out. There's like all these different things you can do, but it is a practice and it's a practice in that you can, I mean, unless you're the Dalai Lama or Jesus or somebody like you're not gonna be perfect at it. No, you're not. And this whole practice is about how to, it's developing the skills to deal with the world as it is. Okay. Because we can pretend the world is an Instagram account, mm -hmm. but it's not. Right. And we, and 2020 has demonstrated that in every way, shape and form. Like we, you can't deny the challenges and the uncertainty of our life. And so the goal is how do you feel and experience and process through the uncertainty and challenges of our life? And we need to have people around us that we can have those discussions with, not because they're going to solve it. Todd does not solve my feelings, you guys. He will listen, but it is my work to practice self-regulation and to recognize what I'm saying and why. It is not Todd's job to make me feel better. And when he is actively, like spiritually bypassing or emotionally bypassing and trying to make me feel better, we're missing the point. Now, he can say things like, um, you know, this is hard, but we're going to be okay. That He's not saying this isn't hard. He's saying eventually we will be okay. And that's really helpful to me, by the way, when you do that. Yeah. So I'm sharing that right now. Thank you. Um, but we, like, the idea... And I, and I challenge my clients with this a lot because the, many of them say this to me, a lot of women who kind of just want to hold things together and they, they're afraid of things falling apart. They choose to not say things or not do things because they don't want to be disappointed. Yeah. But the problem is that's not living life as it is. It's living life as you want it to be. Exactly. And it's pretending and holding tight. And that is rigidity. And that is not agility. And pretending is inauthentic. Exactly. And But you need a filter because if you're authentic and telling everybody your thoughts all the time, every time they come up, there's, you know, there's some discernment that has to go on as well. Right. But the more, the, that's the thing is like, how do we, oh, there's so many layers and pieces to this, but one practice that I can offer to everyone that's not going to be new, but I want to reframe it so people understand why we do it. Going back to what Todd said at the beginning of the show when he was reading the gratitude pointing thing. So you well, know, when I was you. reading it so you well. You did do it well. I, mean, I don't mean to be critical of your I'll reading. I'll give myself a B plus for that reading. You just sometimes read very straightforward without personality. Do you know? Sometimes you have to read and go up and go down right. like that. So. But but you did. I'm having flashbacks of this kid in eighth grade who was hilarious. I've told you the story. What? He would, you know, how you, re it was social studies and uh -huh. you'd read aloud. So the teacher would, we would go like in a rotation and <laughs> after a paragraph, you'd pause and let the next person start reading. And he would finish every sentence up and it would be funny, funny. And then he would also, same kid, um, there's an obvious pattern on who's reading next and he would read so fast so the teacher wouldn't even 
uh, a lot, there wouldn't be a pause for the next person. So he would like read a page and everybody would be laughing because he's not pausing after the sentences or the paragraphs. And then the other thing he did was when the, when the reading, when the reader was on the other side of the room, he would just start reading. <laughs> what do you mean? Somebody on the outside of the corner is reading, and obviously the next person to read is the person sitting next oh, to that he person. Would read because and he would just jump in. Okay. Well, that's, Sorry. I'm sure the teacher loved every minute of that. Mrs. Schmidt, she used to pick her nose okay. in front of all of us. Okay. What if she's listening to this? She's gone. She okay. was old in 1985. Okay. Sorry, Mrs. Schmidt, thank you for teaching and for doing the best you could. So the, Sad that that's my memory of Mrs. I Schmidt. I was going to say. She's a nose picker. Okay. No, she was a teacher and a woman and a human being who occasionally picked her nose. Yes, she did. She's not a nose picker. <laughs> See, that's like, that's like what we do. It's funny because I'm going to go back to what I, don't worry, everybody, I didn't lose what I was going to say before. But Susan David talks about this, about how we will say, I am sad yes. versus I'm noticing that I'm feeling sad. I am not she, a nose picker. Correct. I am one, I am a whole person who happens to pick their nose. I am a human being who does a lot of things. Right now, I am picking my <laughs> nose. And she that's, owned it. That's a very, what do you mean she owned it? She didn't hide it. Oh, okay. She was like, you know, there's different ways you can kind of hide a nose pick. She just go after it. Well, do you, a lot of people in cars do that too. Yes. Sometimes I'm shocked. I'm sure, but like in front of a classroom, you know, maybe some covert nature. Do you remember the Seinfeld where he's like, yeah, no, no pick. pick, no pick. He was just scratching his nose. I might have to find okay. Um, so this by the is, way, we got to close up. Well, this let me say what I was going to say before about um, giving an example of something we can do. Two things that I do, and, and I don't do this every single day, but I probably do it four days out of the week, is the way that I deal with my feelings is I do morning pages, which is where I wake up and I have a no notebook and I just write what I'm feeling, unedited, not because I think someone's ever going to read it, not because it needs to be narrative or linear in fashion. It's just like, it'll be like afraid, afraid of what? Afraid, you know, worried, fear. Oh, and, and I kind of make light of it. I make fun of myself. I recognize where it's coming from. It's not all negative. It's just like, wow, you're afraid or appreciative gratitude. Oh, but scared here. Like my point is, is my morning pages are every feeling in the book. And my goal of morning pages is not to end necessarily on a positive note. Yeah. It's just a dump. Oh, sorry. And then the same thing is true when I meditate. Usually when I'm done, I don't always do it, but usually when I'm done, I have a notebook and I'll write thoughts that come into my mind. And they're not always ideas. They're not always creative. I, I feel like sometimes when we talk about these things, we act as if every meditation gives us this amazing awareness. Oh. Sometimes it's just like, wow, for that 11 minutes, I was worrying. I actually did a Zen parenting moment about worrying, worrying, you know, like... I was worrying a lot and kind of talking about what is that? Sometimes I figure it out. Sometimes I don't. The point of what I'm telling you guys is acknowledging all the feelings. Yeah. That emotional dump helps keep it flowing. And so I don't go into the day bringing all that energy to other people. I can regulate better. Yeah. And, you know, it's real quick. So there's emotional intelligence and there's emotional literacy. Literacy is being able to identify what the emotion is sure. and tell, or at least to be able to name it. Mm -hmm. Like some of us don't even know what anger is sure. or what sadness is. 
And then literacy is being able to practice it. Other way, you just said literacy and then... Uh, intelligence. Intelligence. Thank you. Intelligence is being able to practice it. Can you, can you locate it in your body? Can you express it through words or thoughts or movement or sound? And then can you gain wisdom from it? Like this is a lifetime journey, at least for me, of what it means to be emotionally intelligent. If we want to cultivate that in our kids, the only way you're going to be able to do it is to be able to cultivate in yourself. Exactly. And so as far as language goes, even though there are differences, for the most part, generally speaking, emotional intelligence, self-regulation, emotional agility are very similar. Yeah. All, all The whole point of it is, do you understand your feeling? Do you notice your feeling? And do you process your feeling in a values-aligned way? Mm. A non-values aligned way is I'm going to yell at my kids all day. Yeah, so it's unconscious. It's exactly. It's like where you're making, and it's reactive Reactivity. versus responsive. Boom. Responsive is self-regulatory where you're like, I am annoyed, but I'm going to walk away. That's values aligned. But when we're just reacting or we're throwing things or we're yelling at people, that's I don't have any space between what I'm feeling and what I'm doing. Um, it reminds me of Frankel's, Victor Frankel's quote, uh, between stimulus and response, there's a space. Mm -hmm. And then there's another sentence after that, but I don't remember what it is. But can you cultivate that space between the stimulus and your response? Exactly. It's And again, it's making a choice. I, I know that we're finishing, but one thing that someone on Team Zen asked today, and I thought was really interesting on our, we have a Team Zen page and people post things and write questions. And someone questioned, they said, it was a woman, she said, I feel like every day I'm assessing how am I doing? How am I doing? And she said, is anybody else like that? Like where it's like, and and the whole idea of how am I doing is like this outward, like what are, am I reaching my goals? Am I saying things right? Am I doing things right? Am I actively participating? It's very like outward mm. where the example I gave her is what if you could shift that to how am I being? Mm. And that is what's going on inside of me. Like, how am I dealing with my inner world? Yeah. How am I, instead of looking outside of ourselves, how are we managing what's going on inside? So. Um, I'm going to play seven seconds from Seinfeld. From is this no pick? The nose picking. Okay. But before I do that, um, I have a few things I want to share. One is I coach guys one-on-one. -on -one. Go, to, go to toddadamscoaching.com. One-on-one support. Uh, first session's free. So guys, send me an email. Let's do this. Uh, men living. Uh, today we have a special mention for just the guys or for the women who want to share a pretty great opportunity with men in their lives. Men Living, which is the organization I co-founded, is committed to improving men's lives through connection. Included in our program is a low-pressure 75-minute virtual meeting that we do almost every Wednesday. So if you're interested, guys, or women in your life, tell the guys about it, menliving.org. Hey, did you get the article I sent you? Yes, I have not yet read it. So there's an article in the Washington Post today, which is Monday. Um, call, it's about how the pandemic has demonstrated to men that they don't really have close relationships mm. because men have depended on football games yeah. and getting together at the bar mm. and those things have gone away. And I'm being general. For I know sure. not all men do that, but that that kind of connection has gone away. So men have realized they don't have a lot of relationships. And quite honestly, I think that's why a lot of men are finding us. Yeah. Like the, the, the culture is perfect for this group that I've co-created. Yep. Um, real quick. We have these iTunes reviews that I never read uh -huh. just because I've been lazy. Um, but the last one that we've been given is back from August 5th. So be, we haven't asked, so people haven't written a review. Ah. And the last one is one of our few bad ones. We have 562 ratings, sweetie. 
um, five, um, 550 of them give us five stars. Uh-huh. But this last review gave us one star. Why didn't he like it? Might be a, a she. It's Why didn't she like it? His or her name is Chris. Okay. But it says, gave it a try for a few episodes, suffered through their competitive discourse, Ooh. but they totally lost me and surrendered any chance credibility when they blathered on about how they own their whiteness and racism. Oh. They couldn't say enough about uh, white fragility and anti-racism, and we need to have these discussions with our children. So that's our last review. So... I think we've discussed this review before. I kind of forgot about it, but I'll take that negative review because basically what they're saying is they don't want to talk about race and we are going to do that. So you probably won't like this show if you, that's. Maybe we're not your, your taste. Yeah. So, but please do um, go to iTunes, five-star review. You can do it from your phone. Yeah. And, and, uh, but the vast majority of them have been lovely and awesome. So yeah, the thank last you for one here that. is from Eliza Annie Betty from the United Kingdom. And she says, I randomly came across this podcast and have grown to love it. So many useful parenting, personal awareness topics. I love the way they discuss the issues, often from slightly different perspectives. Always with kindness, always illuminating. Thanks, guys. It's like the opposite of the so other So if you guys give us a review, maybe I'll read it on, on this podcast. Not so. maybe. Um, here's a nose picking. It's only seven, sec- seven seconds long. Okay. He didn't say no pick. No pick. No pick. Maybe I didn't go long yeah, enough. Yeah, go, go Hold back. On, let me go back. Hello. What are you doing here? Well, I had to talk to you. I noticed you haven't been returning my calls. Well, I've been busy. Because I, I thought we had a good time the other night, and the only explanation I could come up with is that you think that you caught me. <laughs> <laughs> I'd rather not talk about this. But I was clearly on the outer edge of the nostril. I know what I saw. But, but there was no pick. <laughs> I, I did not pick. There was no pick. I gotta go. No! No pick! And what if I did do it? Even though I admit to nothing and never will. What does that make me? And I'm not here just defending myself, but all those pickers out there have been caught. Each and every one of them. Who has to suffer the shame and humiliation because of people like you. Are we not human? If we pick, do we not bleed? I am not an animal! Jerry. Jerry. No pick. I found it. So anyways. All right. Um, so uh, we have a workshop with Men Living this week. Uh, we'll see you guys next week on the podcast. Keep trucking, I guess. Yeah. And if you you know, if you know, enjoyed what we talked about today, uh, Susan David's TED Talk about emotional agility. She has a book called Emotional Agility. And Armchair Expert um, interviewed her last week. So I recommend all three. Keep trucking. Thanks for listening, everyone. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And feel free to leave a five-star review. It helps people find us. The best part of what we do is getting to spend time with our listeners and an awesome community of parents who have come together over at Team Zen. Team Zen is a great opportunity to connect as much as you want with a group of like-minded parents, and you'll even get exclusive content from Kathy and me. Find out more about Team Zen on our site, zenparentingradio.com. We know your inbox needs more hopeful and helpful info, so sign up for the Zen Parenting Moment. Two times a week, you'll receive a quick read that will boost your day and improve your outlook. Sign up at zenparentingradio.com. While men and women, moms and dads, parents and non-parents are all welcome here at ZPR, we know most of our followers are female and moms. So today we're shouting out an opportunity that's just for the guys. Men Living creates opportunities for men to gather together to give and get support and build friendship. 
I am one of the founders of the group and you'll find me every week helping facilitate our virtual meeting on Wednesday nights at 7.30. Interested or want to share the details with someone you love? You can find the Zoom link at menliving.org. Ready for a Gen X view of personal growth? Join us for Pop Culturing, our podcast filled with humor, fun, and a characteristic emphasis on self-awareness as we explore movies, TV, and pop culture. And don't forget, I coach guys. So if you're interested, head on over to toddadamscoaching.com and schedule a one-on-one session. First session is free. Finally, I want to give a special thanks to our founding partner, Jeremy Kraft. He's a bald-headed beauty, and the company he has is Avid. They do painting and remodeling throughout the Chicagoland area. Go to avidco.net or give them a call at 630-956-1800. Thanks for all your love and support, and keep on trucking.